Good morning. It is good to see your bright, shining faces this morning. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Psalm 91. If you're not sure where that is, you can scroll to it on your phone. You've got a table of contents in your Bible, or you can just go halfway, and it's about there. Sound good to everybody? Psalm 91. Uh, we are in the middle of a teaching series called Tightening the Knot. It's all about relationships, all about marriage. And um, as I've said before, there's two reasons why I dislike talking about this. Number one, in our own marriage at home, it seems like every time we talk about a subject related to family or marriage or something like that, the spiritual attacks come. And that has been no different here. Uh, yes, we still love each other. I promise that. <laughs> but, uh, man, it just gets difficult. But the second, so we don't covet your prayers. The second thing is I also recognize 50% of our church is single. And we want you to understand something, that relationships and whatever relationship you're in does not define you. Your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. So whether if you're single, single again, or married, it doesn't matter. Jesus is Jesus. The reason we're talking about marriage is because for so many people who get married, they're ill-equipped going into it, not equipped at all, or there's just a lot of attacks that they're dealing with because, honestly, the enemy wants to tear it apart. And so we want to equip you. So if you're planning to get married again, listen up. If you're married, listen up. If you want to encourage a marriage, listen up. Sound good to everybody? So this morning, we're going to be dealing with probably one of the most practical messages I've ever preached. Now, I'll say that in fear and trembling for a couple of reasons. One, here at River Hills, we like to take Scripture and tear it apart. We want you to understand it. We believe that there are three reasons why we do this every week. We don't just stay in, we don't just skip around the Bible or give you seven tips on how to buy a car, all right? There are three reasons why we're all about the Word of God. Number one, when you understand the Word of God and when you're learning about the Word of God, it changes you. You need that foundation. We believe it's God's truth. The second reason is God's Word points to Jesus. And if you need help for your marriage, for your parenting, for your finances, or whatever that may be, you always look to Jesus. And every word in Scripture points to Christ. The third reason is it gives you truth for living. And so many times we need that truth, do we not? Now, the reason it gives you truth for living and the reason why you dwell in Scripture is because there's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of tickling ears out there that keep us from following the pathway that Christ would lead us, and Scripture does that. Uh, two thoughts that come to mind. One, there's a popular false teacher out there that says, live your best life now. Well, he's obviously not read the Bible because if you read the Bible, your best life is later, right? And so you got to remember that. The second thing is, as you deal with Scripture, you understand what the truths are and how you to live out that truth. Several years ago, I was sitting with a guy, and he said, Look, Pastor, I've been going to this church, and I just learned that if I will just dream up what I want God for my life and ask Him for it, it'll happen. And I'm like, tell me how that works out. Because I've been dreaming some cool stuff lately, you know. And when I think about Scripture... I think about Abraham, who was living his best life, and God came to him and said, give up everything, move your 100-year-old wife across the desert and settle there. I don't think he dreamed of that, do you? Think about Simon Peter, who was sitting on his boat, and he's like, I'm dreaming of this one day, but yet Christ comes to him and says, hey, fisherman, get off the boat and follow me, and he does. And then at the end of his life, he was crucified upside down. I don't think he dreamed that, do you? So we really have to understand what Scripture says in order to apply it to our lives. Now, I say all that to say we're not going to be in one passage this morning. We're going to skip all over the place, and everything we're going to extract out in this message this morning comes from Scripture. We're going to help us understand it and apply it maybe a little bit more practically, but we're going to land at Psalm 91. So hang tight. We're going to get there. But what we're going to deal with this morning is all about cultivation. 
Now, for the last two weeks, we've dealt with two major themes about marriage. And maybe it's something different that you've never dealt with before. But really, to have a Christ-centered marriage and a marriage that honors the Lord and a marriage that is healthy, and from a godly perspective, we need to understand the application of grace. Grace is hard to apply. And grace is something that we sometimes don't give the other spouse. But here's the deal. Give you a great example here. When your spouse is angry, our knee-jerk reaction is to what? Get angry back. Agreed? Let me tell you a story. I've got a cat. I don't like cats. My son, who's somewhere today, said this. We were on a mission trip to the Bahamas. He was home alone. He gives us a FaceTime message and says, look what I brought home. And it was a cat. And then he moved. So I have a cat. And we have this cat. We walk out in the garage every morning, and somehow the cat gets on top of the refrigerator. You got one of those on your garage. It's where you put everything else. It's on the refrigerator as you walk out the door. And as you walk out the door, the cat goes, hey. And there are times I want to take the cat because it scares me so much and throw it. Y'all been there before? I would never throw the cat with you around, all right? <laughs> but that's how marriage is. We send a claw and snap. And many times the re response is to claw and snap back. But if, imagine if we applied grace. You're not going to do it all the time. I know that. But growing your relationship with God helps you do that. Apply grace to any relationship. Live as Christ would live. The second thing we dealt with so far is foundational elements. If you want your life, if you want your relationship to stand, doing it God's way is the right way. Because one thing I can guarantee you, as we dealt with that passage last week about the two guys who built houses, one built it upon the rock, one built it upon the sand, when you choose to lay your life and your marriage on a foundation, when, not if, when the storms come, you stand strong, right? So building upon the foundation of Christ, building your life upon the precepts and the understanding of who God is. Now this morning, like I said, we're going to talk about cultivation. And how do we cultivate our relationships? And again, this is very practical. We're going to land at Psalm 91. But let me start with this. Some of you have a green thumb. I have a rotten one. Y'all with me on that? Anyway, I try to plant, and a problem with me and my gardening expertise, which there is none, is that I don't cultivate. Now, I'm really good at a couple things. I'm really good at plowing and tilling. Y'all know what I'm talking about, anything with manual labor. I can take a shovel and I can dig a hole. I can put up a fence that'll keep out a deer. I can go on Amazon and click and buy the seed. I can dream dreams about having huge cornfields and flowers. But my problem is once I get the plant in the ground at seed, I don't do anything else. Now, I'm married to someone who cannot put up a fence and cannot toil the ground very well because she's not as strong. Just being real, all right? This is not a sexist thing. I'm stronger, just straight up. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not scared sometimes, but I'm stronger. <laughs> she's great at cultivation. She'll go out there and can spend hours picking bugs off plants, spraying it, cultivating it, trimming it, all that stuff. Now, we've been together 25 years, I think. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and until recently, it didn't hit me, is that God puts us together with our strengths and weaknesses to make something beautiful. When we choose to cultivate our relationship, God does something beautiful. It's not easy. But we're going to talk about the four postures of your relationship, of your marriage. The posture in which biblically God gives you to live in and how you live with each other. Now, as a kid, I was always told to stand up what? Straight. Because if you had good posture, you were going to have, you know, be able to stand up straight and present yourself. But if you slumped all the time, 
you're obviously going to grow up crooked. And I don't know if that's true or not, but they were trying to help so we would grow in a right direction. Now, some of you are checking your posture right now. I see it. But here's the point. When we talk about the postures that God gives us, we're going to launch out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is right after Adam and Eve gets married. And, I, and, and we've talked about this before at church. I believe it was the greatest wedding ever. There's Adam in the garden. God br br uh, uh, creates Eve from one of his ribs, and he walks her down the aisle, and all in attendance are all the beasts of the field and the birds and the, all the flowers in the garden. They imagine they didn't pay anything for that. And he walks her down the aisle and presents to Adam his wife, Eve. Isn't that kind of cool? And so they've just gotten married. In Genesis chapter 2, God says this, That is why a man leaves his father and a mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You heard that before? The old adage is that you leave and what? Cleave. I mean, you leave what's behind and cleave to each other. And the posture that we draw out of this is the posture of being face-to-face -face in your relationship. It's all about the intimacy. It's all about the closeness between the two people. And it's the choice, and we really want to go back. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The leaving and the cleaving. The leaving his father and his mother and becoming one with the other person. Because here's the problem I see in scores of marriages. I'm doing this for 25 years. Uh, my wife is a therapist, learning from her. Many of you are therapists, research. Many of the reasons a lot of marriages struggle is because there's no leaving. And what I mean by that is several, several layers to it. Many times, one of the individuals or perhaps both won't leave their family of origin and be united to the other person in unity. The greatest voice is not their spouse. The greatest voice is the mother-in-law, father-in-law, or the other. And I think they all mean well. But if you're going to be a family unit if you're going to be one you have to leave a lot of times i see 50 year old men and gals that still think they're 20 and they still live like that with the things the hobbies and habits and things that they do but when you get married you got to leave some of that stuff behind you got to make sure i'm not saying give up your life i'm saying your life is different things have changed i think just in reading and thinking about and meeting with different people, there are three big issues that people don't leave as far as their past when they get married. And the issues I see bubbling up in marriages and have read about and talked to others about, and some of you can affirm this, there always seems to be a problem with money, there's a problem with intimacy, and there's a problem with in-laws. Now, some of you are next to your in-laws right now. This is not the time to nudge your spouse. But think about this for a moment. How many of you who are married or used to be married have thought about money? Every person. Every one of you. It's either how to spend it, you don't have any of it, or you don't know what to do with it. Dave Ramsey says when two people, he's a financial guru at Financial Peace University, he says there's two types of people that get married, nerds and free spirits. That's true, right? You got the nerd who's got everything in order. You got the nerd who's like, you know what? I'm going to have a budget. I'm going to save. I'm going to invest. We're going to spend. We're going to do all this. Then you have this free, free spirit. They don't know what the login is for their, um, their, their online banking platform, right? They lost the checkbook and they just spin, 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 spin. And when those two people come together, what happens? Issues. <laughs> Y'all with me on that? When two free spirits get together, there's a lot of fun. 
<laughs> Here's the point. Is if you don't leave your idea of what money is behind and stop referring to it as mine and start believing it's ours, things don't leave and become face-to-face. -face. Same thing goes with intimacy. Same thing goes with in-laws. When you choose to stay under the authority of someone else or the influence of something else or someone else, you're not really leaving and cleaving. And here's the deal. When we talk about leaving and cleaving, we talk about becoming one. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this in the same way it repeats what the Old Testament says and the New Testament. It says the two have to become one, and that's the whole idea of intimacy in three areas. The intimacy sexually, the intimacy spiritually, and the intimacy emotionally all have to be dealt with. And here's the point. Even before you get married, you need to be discussing, nurturing that in a biblical way, as well as a spiritual understanding. You've got to deal with this stuff. You've got to think about it. You have to practice it. You have to know it. And here's the problem. When we think about the intimacy standpoint, when we deal with two to three out of five men who are addicted to pornography, that's an issue that's going to affect your marriage. You've got to leave that. You've got to cleave. We talk about people, and I think, I, I forget the last statistic, I think it's three out of five women have dealt with some type of sexual abuse. When help is not had, that comes into the marriage. You've got to deal with this stuff. And so developing the face-to-face -face relationship between the two people, that idea of leaving and cleaving, of becoming one, is paramount. Song of Solomon at the very end is verse 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to ask the guys in the back to scroll all the way to the end of that verse. God speaks into the relationship of the people. And he says this at the very end. He says, eat, friends, and drink. Let's scroll all the way down. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. He wants the relationship to be so God-centered, to so, be so face-to-face. -face. There, there is a joy in the midst of that years ago I was pastoring in Louisiana and, and this has happened countless times there was a couple and every night he would come home he would watch the ball game he would sit in the couch there was very little communication and every night she would leave and she would go hang out with her friends and she would come in late and what happened to that relationship it no longer exists because both of them refuse to leave and cleave. You follow me on this? So here's the question before we move into the next posture. What are you refusing to leave? What are you refusing to leave? Is your first phone call mama or your spouse? What are you refusing to leave? Is your first reaction to go hang out at the bar? To go to the gym? To go do what you do or go hang out with your spouse you follow me on this what do you need to leave and cleave what do you need to get help with that's the first posture the second posture is back to back now I love the three musketeers you remember those guys and they had a mantra what was it all for one and what one for all that should be the theme of your marriage all for one one for all and the idea of being back to back is that you're going to protect this marriage my dad was in the military and later on in law enforcement, and he used to tell us stories. And one of the things he would describe to us, if you went into a shady place or a tough situation and you had a partner with you and things went down, you better make sure you got what? Back to back 
because the fighting's about to happen and you got to protect each other and here's the deal there are too many there are too many relationships that when things go bad or there's frustration instead of getting back to back and protecting they're getting face to face and punching you have to learn to get back to back you bring into your relationship specific strengths and specific weaknesses. Your spouse brings into your relationship specific strengths and specific weaknesses. Instead of being jealous or frustrated, why don't you just come together and be back-to-back and fight for each other? You follow that? That's for me too, all of us. Notice what happens here. When we deal with this idea of being back-to-back, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, and this is a reality that you need to understand about your relationship be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one of the things he loves to devour is your marriage. Be alert. Genesis chapter 4 talks about it from this perspective. Verse 7, notice this. He says, if you do what is right, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, not do what is right, sin is crouching at the what? Door. You ever feel that way? It's just right around a corner. Not to be, look, I'm not trying to scare anybody because if Christ in you is greater than he who is not in you and the world, okay? You need to understand that. You have power because of his Holy Spirit in you, and he's going to overcome it, and you're going to be a part of that. That's good, right? That's part of knowing Jesus. But we also got to understand that temptation is crouching at the door, and it will come at you. It will come at you from every angle. It will look for the weak link. It will look for the weak moment. It will look for you late at night while you're online, during the day when you feel ignored. And you have to approach this idea of being back-to-back. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle John is talking about the church as a whole, but this applies to your marriage as well. He says, dear friends, let us love what? One another. Now, that means people who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, but specifically in the body of Christ and in your relationship. Learn to love one another. Now, throughout Scripture, there's this phrase called one another all over. All over. We call them the one another's. All right? And I'm going to give you some of these one another's as you apply it to your relationship. Here we go. And I'm going to go through fast, so you better listen fast. Here we go. A few one another's to apply as you get back to back. Learn to be kind. Learn to be kind. Is it weird to you that the person you're least kind to during the day is the one you live with? Is that true? Notice the scripture says here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to what? One another. Then he goes on to say there's other places. Learn to serve one another. You know, the definition of leadership is service from a biblical perspective. How are you serving your spouse? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 talks about serving what? One another. Another one is learn to forgive one another. Imagine if you let it go. Imagine if you got the help to forgive. How that would radically change things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says this. It says, we've talked about this in the first, the first uh, sermon in the series. It says, bear with one another and forgive one another. Bear with one another means to put up with one another sometimes. You just got to deal with it. It's not necessarily sin. It's just frustrating. All of you got pet peeves, right? You got things that drive you crazy. 
Some of you pull, some of you squeeze a toothpaste in the middle. Some of you know Jesus and do it from the end, right? Man, look, I'm going to talk about Mayor Myers for a second, and uh, I have, I think I have my wife's, I do have my wife's permission. So we come into our relationship. Sarah Beth and I got married. We were 23, and she had just turned 22. We were babies. All right, we had no idea what to do. We just knew we loved each other, and we loved each other, and that was it, man. And we learned. You know, her grand, her grandmother said something to us one time. We were broke, 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 broke. Y'all know what I mean? And she said, you can live on love, baby. And she's right. We lived on love. We ate ramen noodles and peanut butter for about 10 years. We lived on love. But uh, and it was awesome. And I would not trade those times. But, man, there are pet peeves you bring into that relationship. I'll give you an example. I grew up in a home to where if you weren't in the room, you turned off the lights. That's just what you did. Some of you are like, amen. And you look at your spouse right now. She grew up in a home where they love light. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we got married, turn the light off. And then it's, the other one was, won't you leave the light on? And we've been married 24 years this year. And she still leaves the light on. And I still leave the light off. And here's our, resp here's our response to that. It just doesn't, it's not a big deal, is it? Now, some of you are like, yes, it is. That's money out the door. <laughs> Relax. God makes more money, all right? And so can you. There's just sudden things you just want to put up with that aren't sinful. And learning to forgive the other person, I'm, going, I'm way off track. Here we go. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Notice what it says. But encourage one another what? All right, I want you all to say this with me out loud, that last word. Encourage one another what? daily that doesn't say skip a day because you're mad that means encourage one another daily this applies to not just your relationship with your spouse but to anyone what would your marriage look like if you chose to encourage that person every day in the way they needed encouragement would that change things my podcast tomorrow morning is going to give you some resources on that, but I'll throw one out there right now. Every couple needs to do the love language test. It's free. It's online. It tells you how the other person accepts, accepts and receives love because what happens is in most of your relationships, you'll get married and you'll love the, your, 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 your partner, your spouse, the way uh, you feel love, and they might not like it. <laughs> they might receive it differently. Study your spouse. Learn how to love them well. Learn how to encourage them next thing is honor them honor them man place the priority on them and not you it ain't about you it's about y'all <laughs> that's about as southern as i get it right there right <laughs> what does it say romans chapter uh, 12 verse 10 be devoted to one another in love and what does that say honor one another it goes on to say this learn to live in harmony with each other learn to live in harmony with each other what does that mean to live in harmony well you're bringing some strengths and the other one's bringing some strengths, right? Let the two come together and work itself out. Look, if you're, let's go back to the money thing. If you're a nerd and your spouse is a free spirit, they need you. So you won't be living in a van down by the river, all right? <laughs> they need you. And if you're a free spirit and you're married to a nerd, they need you. Because they're going to be eating crackers and drinking water for the rest of their life and never experience life. Are y'all with me on that? You need them both. That's living in harmony. Notice what the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. 
16. Live in harmony with one another. Hey, you didn't see that coming, did you? Live in harmony with one another. That's being back to back, y'all. Another thing is this pray for each other. Do you know what to pray for your spouse about right now? That's just a simple question. Do you know how to pray for you? What are they dealing with? What are they struggling with? How do they need you to pray? James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to, one, to, to each other and pray for each other. Pray for each other. Next one. Submit to each other. What does that mean? It honors God. It's an act of worship when you put the other one's needs before your own. And it's not about picking a restaurant. It's about life. Notice what Scripture says in verse 21 of uh, Ephesians. Submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Now let's deal with this last one because it's all about protecting. We're back to back still, right? We were face to face, we're back to back. You got to learn to protect your marriage. Song of Solomon Chapter 2, verse 15, the entire book of Song of Solomon is about attraction, dating, courtship, engagement, the honeymoon, marriage, and growing old together. It's kind of neat how God laid that out, right, for us. But in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. The, the woman tells her husband, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Now, in ancient culture, you'd have a vineyard, and that was your source of income, and that's how you ate. It was a big deal. If you didn't have it and it wasn't tended to or cultivated, you wouldn't eat, you would die. So it's kind of a big deal. So what they would do is they'd build these stone walls around the vineyard, and then they'd build a tower in the middle of a vineyard so that if anybody came to steal or any animals came to destroy, they'd take care of business that way. But here's the problem. If you didn't maintain the wall, the foxes would sneak in. And here's what would happen. The foxes would sneak in, but they wouldn't destroy things. They'd just go to each little vine and take a little bite take a little bite and over time that vine would get diseased it would die and wither up and what the wife is saying is honey we've got to catch these little foxes because if we don't little bites you know you typically your marriage i see people when they when the marriage is in crisis and I, i'm just being honest but that moment of crisis is preceded by tons and thousands of little bites you have to deal with the little foxes. You have to protect. That's back to back. Let me, before we move on to the next posture, I want to ask this question. What little foxes need to be dealt with? You with me? We all got them. And they're always going to try to break in. So don't think you'll ever be fox free. But what needs to be dealt with? Third posture is side by side. You can have a relationship as face to face. You can have a relationship as back to back. But God also calls you to have a relationship that is a friendship. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve. This is talking about the church as a whole, but it also applies to your marriage. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its parts from one body, so it is with Christ. Meaning, you're coming into this marriage, and you're going to have different strengths and weaknesses and personalities and likes and dislikes. And if you value that in the other person rather than despising it or getting irritated, something cool happens. Honoring the Lord. Choose to be side by side in a relationship. Your spouse has specific gifts that can be used in powerful ways to honor Jesus. Are you encouraging that? 
Are you, are you blessing that? And when we choose the posture of side by side, doesn't mean necessarily you got to like everything the other one likes, but you're going to do life together and encourage each other in those areas, right? My wife has certain tastes in food that I can't stand, but you know what? I know what to order for. And the same thing for me. Learn to do life with each other. Is that your friend? Or are you just cohabitating? Is that your friend? My son and I were having a conversation last night about friendship, and he goes, who's your best friend? I said, your mom's in the other room. And it's vice versa. And that's the way it needs to be. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read this together. Starting in verse 26. And I want you to read this first relationship when it was perfect. Starting verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they get the purpose here. So that they rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then notice what happened, what God does. He, God blessed them, and he said to them, here's what you do. You got your purpose, rule over. Now here's your commission. Be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then he goes on to say, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that, is, that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground everything that has the breath of life in it i give every green plant for food and it was what so what's happening here adam and eve are doing life together not apart and there are too many relationships that are doing life apart and not together y'all follow me on that god created for them to have the posture face to face side uh, uh, back to back but also what side by side one no better than the other. But here comes the last one. I got, I got to tell you this story. So I was at the gym this week. Now, some of you are like, no. Nah. <laughs> I was at the gym this week. And I, I was up at the, the cardio section. You know where the cardio section is where, you know, there's a couple people up there who are like on the cardio machine or the treadmill for like an hour and a half, but they're going at the pace of snail. And then there's others that are just going 55 miles per hour. I was more on the pace of snail. And there was a couple in front of me. Obviously, it was their first time in the gym um, or, or hadn't been in a while. And they're on these two treadmills but next to each other. They're obviously together. And they're walking like, you know, 0 .005 miles an hour. And they're getting a workout in. <laughs> and I'm watching them. And I probably, I may have been judging them like, oh, they're so slow. And then here I am like two steps ahead. That's about it. And all of a sudden, one reaches out to the other, and they're on the treadmill, y'all, and they're holding hands. Now, there's a couple of thoughts that went through my mind. One was like, Fort Yargo is a much better view than this. <laughs> Two, I'm thinking, what would happen if one started going faster, and I imagine her or him pulling around? But then it was like, dude, that's your life. On the perpetual treadmill of life, you better be next to each other. You're meant to walk side by side. Are we doing that, y'all? So we're face-to-face, -face, intimacy. We're back-to-back, -back, we're protecting. We're side-to-side, -side, relationally. Here's the most important posture. All of it hinges on this. Hands up. What does that mean? 
is submission to the Lord within your relationship, both personally and as a couple. And when you choose to be hands up, regardless if the other ones are out of whack, I promise you things are going to come together when there's a submission to the Lord. Psalm chapter 91 says this, verses 1 through 4. We're going to end it here. I want you to notice what happens. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He, and this is it, verse 4. He will cover, He will cover you with the feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. This is not a promise that's going to be easy. This is a promise that there will be refuge. You follow that? And when you choose to live life hands up, Lord, I surrender to you individually and as a couple you find yourself under the shadow of the refuge of the wings of the most mighty God and that's it so if you're here single you need to be under the shadow of his wings if you're a couple y'all need to be in the shadows of, your, of, of his wings that's where you find your home because notice what happens here go back to verse one it says this you choose to dwell you get that and then you will choose to rest all under the Lord that's hands up y'all that's where it is where the rubber meets the road and let's dig a little further here and i got a moment to do this there are four names of god in those two verses the hebrew people had different names of god to describe who god is it's a beautiful way of understanding it he says whoever dwells in the shelter of elohim which means he is the most high god he is above everything will rest in the shadow of el shaddai which means he is almighty, more powerful than anything. I will say to the Lord, or Yahweh, which is a personal name of God, meaning you don't know me from afar, you know me here, relationally. That's what sets God apart. Do you realize that? And do you understand? You use the word Yahweh almost every day. Did you know that? How is that so? Yahweh means the Lord. Have you ever used the term hallelujah? What? Yah. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh. And every time you say hallelujah, you're saying praise the Lord. Praise the God that is personal. Praise the God that loves me. Praise the God that is for me. Praise the God that I know, that I have a relationship with. Hallelujah, right? It's not just a God far away. It's a God who comes to you. And when you choose to rest under the shadow of the Most High and of the power of the Almighty, you say to the personal God, he is my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim, my God forever. That's good, isn't it? So does your marriage acknowledge that? So, that's the posture. Face to face, back to back, side to side, and hands up. So, what if your spouse won't? What if your spouse won't do that? Or what if you're in a situation in your marriage right, right, right now where it's 911? It's over. You're just waiting on things to fall into place. Or what if you're in a situation right now to where your spouse is not, doesn't know Jesus? And when you talk about this stuff, this is just foreign language to them. What do you do? Any of y'all with me on that? How do you deal with that? I'll give you three steps of application and we're going to finish up. Number one, and this is going to seem really practical, and I don't mean this in a coy way get help get help listen there are people out there who will help walk with you through these times get help 
I met with a, a group of pastors at a think tank several weeks ago, and two of the pastors that came in were in their late 20s, early 30s, and they do nothing but exclusively minister to 18 to 35-year-olds. And they said something in that meeting that just blew my mind. He said, after COVID, 18 to 35-year-olds are more willing to get mental health or coaching or counseling more so than any other generation we've seen. And that is absolutely true from my experience because there's a willingness to say something has to give, and I can't live like this anymore. So if you're over 35, you're between 18 and 35, let me tell you something, there is help. And there are people who are trained to help you, godly people who want to demonstrate the gospel to you in those sessions to help counsel you through some things. We all need it at times. We need somebody to objectively look in, the, in a relationship or in a person's life and say, these things need to change. One thing we have here at River Hills is something called soul care. It's a ministry here where people have been trained to help you coach through certain things. And then if more needs, we can refer you to Christian counseling. And it is absolutely free. It is absolutely confidential. And if you're willing to get the help, we're willing to offer it. So on your Connect card that's inside your worship folder right now, take it out and say, soul care. Put your name on it. It'll come to me, and I'll get you assigned. Does that sound good? Get help. Number two, get support. Every marriage needs support. Every marriage needs support. You need people around you to encourage you, period. Some of you are blessed with a family of origin that supports you and says, yes, you need to leave and cleave. One of the funny shows that was out several years ago was a show called Duck Dynasty. Some of y'all remember that. I know you remember that. And there was a couple on there that was married. I can't remember which one it was. And I read an article about when their oldest son got married. Mom looked at him and said, well, you're not coming home. I like that. I said, you're not coming home. And that might be the greatest support you can give to your kids is you're not coming home. It's, it's you two and Jesus. And we're going to support you to make sure that happens as much as you allow us. Get support. I think we'll give, we'll give you support in your marriage right now. Starting February 18th, we're starting something called Grace Marriage. It costs 100 bucks. It's seven years worth of stuff. We don't meet for seven years. If you can't afford it, you let me know, because I've had three donors come up to me and say, we will provide any scholarship for anybody that needs it, because marriage is that important. Sign up for that on our website, put it on your Connect card, and we'll get you signed up. It is the best book on marriage I've ever read, and they've developed a six-week curriculum for it that goes six weeks in the fall, I mean, six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall. Sound good? Sign up. Number three, let's say your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Here's my encouragement to you. I know that is hard. Get prayer. Get a prayer group to surround you. Join a small group and have them praying. This is not an easy road, and God does not want you to give up. Get prayer. We also have a prayer team here who will pray for you specifically if you trust us with your, with your prayer request. We'll keep it confidential. But get people to stand alongside of you and pray and get the support you need. Does that sound good? Now, let's finish this with this. Sarah Beth and I are very different. I'm loud. She's quiet. I'm ugly. She's not. <laughs> so many things. And when we talk about gardening, like I said, I'm the, I'm, I'm the muscle. She's the creativity. I put up the fence. She tends to the garden. And it took me a long time, and I'm still figuring it out. And I think that's what marriage is about. But when the two come together to put up the fence and plant the seed and do the cultivating and they work within their areas of giftedness, I want to show you what happens. Something beautiful. Something beautiful happens. I couldn't do that. I didn't do that without my wife. Now, if you see way in the background, the grass is cut. 
That's my job. <laughs> but I'm not going to stand out there and pick out, pick bugs off. She does that. But at the same time, she doesn't have the strength to dig a huge hole. That's, I can do that. And when we choose to be in sync with one another, even when it's difficult, God does something beautiful, does he not? So are you choosing the right posture? Face to face, back to back, side to side, hands up.